Veterans Path, helping veterans find peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor through practical tools like meditation and mindfulness, physical and outdoor experiences, and a community of camaraderie. I'm John McCaskill, a Navy SEAL commander turned mindfulness teacher. Here on the Veterans Path podcast, I interview veterans, athletes, corporate leaders, and many others who found peace through the practices of meditation and mindfulness, breaking down the stigma of pursuing mental health and making it a priority, improving and saving lives. All right. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good day. Welcome to the Veterans Path podcast. Today, my guest is fellow Naval Academy grad, John Miles. At Annapolis, John was a multi-sport Division I athlete. After graduating, he went on to serve as a Navy Information Warfare Officer, serving at SEAL Team 8, Naval Special Warfare Unit 10, and then as the Executive Officer of the NSA Detachment of Joint Interagency Task Force South, Jayad of South, as well as he served on board a number of various ships and in a number of various conflicts all over the globe. Since his time in the Navy, John has led and founded several companies and been on the board of multiple nonprofits. He's also written a book and he's a keynote speaker. John also has a pretty wild mental health story, which we'll obviously get into in the show. But before we do that, this episode is brought to you by Past Life. Life can be changed at any moment. Are you prepared? The grief a family feels upon losing a loved one is difficult enough, but the days, weeks, and months that follow are filled with stressful decisions Past Life is a single solution, secure cloud-based platform where funeral preparations, last wishes, will information, financial assets, business continuation information, social media account information, and much more can be uploaded to recipients of the user's choosing. Past Life allows you to alleviate the stress and lift the fog for your loved ones, primarily by giving them a vital trove of information in multiple areas. Veterans Path podcast listeners can save 10% by using the code PATH at checkout. Learn more at pastlife.com. That's pass-life.com. Past Life. Pass your loved ones a lifeline. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you, and thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So what I typically try to do is I get into a little bit of personal background, kind of Hey, what, what were you, who were you before you joined the Navy and what inspired you to join the Navy and then specifically going to Annapolis? What was, uh, what was that train of thought for you? Okay. Um, well, I, I grew up, um, in the Midwest for about the first 10 years of my life. Um, and then we moved. So I grew up, uh, had a normal background in the, in the Midwest with, um, you know, football being a major component of my family's uh, get-togethers. And, uh, you know, I started playing uh, ice hockey at a, at a young age. Um, and so that was one of my core sports uh, as a kid. Uh, when I turned uh, between nine and 10, we, we ended up moving to York, Pennsylvania. And it was during a, a very interesting time because Three Mile Island incident had happened about six months before that. Wow, which had had delayed us moving from uh, Chicago to to there, um, and so when we moved, it was you know with a lot of uh, uncertainty in some ways because from from York you can actually see 
Three Mile Island, um, you know, from some of the high points. So, but while I was there, um, you know, I ended up going to uh, York Catholic High School and ended up uh, uh, not flourishing in hockey, but started uh, um, running my freshman year and uh, ended up uh, becoming a, a fairly good uh, cross country and track runner. Oh, really? Where we, you know, we ended up winning st the state championships as a team. And then I ended up, um, you know, winning districts, fin finishing second in regional, and then, um, you know, ran in uh, the, the state meet. So I, even though I ended up playing hockey and um, rugby at the academy, I, I was recruited uh, by colleges actually for cross country and track. Oh, wow. I, I've got so, a cross country and track background too. I didn't realize you had that as a background. I, nice. I did. So, um, so I guess the, the path that led me to the Naval Academy is my, you know, I'm third generation military. My, my grandfather was um, originally um, Army Airborne and I roughly about two weeks before he was supposed to deploy, he uh, got some pretty strange orders from uh, his commanding general that the sec Secretary of Defense was uh, having him go to Fort Detrick. And uh, it, uh, my grandfather had a degree in pharmacy from the University of Michigan. And as fate would have it, uh, he had been recruited uh, into the germ, germ and chemical warfare program at that time. And so he went to Fort Detrick uh, where he, you know, ended up uh, working on everything from botulism to, um, he was one of the creators of um, anthrax that we had, um, you know, the LSD treatments that we were using on, uh, to interrogate people and other things. And so, but uh, for the majority of my childhood up until I was 35, we, we didn't, we knew he was in the military we, he was unable to tell us he ever worked on germ warfare because he had a 50-year vow of silence. And then my, my father was, um, I think you'll find this interesting, he joined the Marine Corps in 1956, 57, and at the time they were just restarting uh, Force Recon. And the reason he did it is because they offered, um, you know, $100, $150 more a month if you join Special Forces. But at the time, uh, Force Recon didn't have their school set up. And so he went to UDT school and was class of 16. Oh, so, no way. So my, you know, wow. my, I guess you could say my father is a SEAL slash, uh, you know, Force Recon. And when he was in the Marine Corps, a lot of what he, he did after he was in Korea, uh, he was in the early stages of Vietnam and actually did a lot of uh, diving um, as part of um, his core duties. And so I think it was, you know, their, their backgrounds, plus, you know, I had an uncle who was a Green Beret um, in Vietnam. And I think it was through their, their stories that I felt a calling, uh, you know, to, to, to serve the country and to, um, you know, take my life and vocation that way. So that's what really uh, got me to, uh, to apply to the Academy. And, uh, you know, I ended up turning down you know, multiple offers from, uh, you know, University of Michigan, Brown, Duke, and, and other universities to, to go to the academy. Nice, nice. And then while you were there, you, 
you, like I mentioned in the beginning, you were a multi-sport division one athlete. What sports were you playing there? Are you again, hockey and, and were you, were you running well, it all then? Well, I started out, uh, so I went to the Naval Academy prep school and, um, I was, uh, when I was there, I was lucky to, to run with, um, a, a three or four really great, great runners. Um, one of them, uh, I was a four twelve miler coming out of high school and uh, wow. I, I was fast. And we had a, a guy, it, it is fast. <laughs> who was a, a, a four Oh eight miler and had won the market street mile. And, um, you know, when I started doing 800 uh, repeats with him and started getting my, uh, my tail kicked, it, uh, it, it brought, it was pretty humbling. Um, so, but in addition to him, um, I ran, uh, and one of my best friends was a guy by the name of Greg Keller and Greg Keller is pretty infamous for the Naval Academy because he, at the time was the first, um, graduate ever to win 12 end stars. And he ended up being an all American in both cross country and track and missed Jeez missed Olympic qualifying in the steeplechase by under a second and then missed qualifying in the 1500 by less than one tenths of a second. Wow. But, That's you know, insane. getting, you know, getting to run that uh, initial year with him and another guy named Tim Barkdale, who was actually one of my uh, high school chief competitors was, was a fun experience. Uh, but unfortunately, it, as, as you know, when, when you hit the collegiate level, um, you're, you're running, you know, between 70 to 100 miles a week. And between the chopping that we had to do at the academy, which is when you have to, you know, lift your legs at 90 degree angles right. and the constant pounding, I ended up developing a series of uh, stress fractures. And sure, so sure. Um, that ended up really plaguing my, my running career. And so, um, sophomore or youngster year, um, I ended up transitioning and then went, went to, I, I ended up starting to put on some weight and ended up playing, uh, rugby and hockey, the remaining portion of my, uh, uh, academy tenure. That's definitely not a normal transition from, from track and cross country to, to rugby and, and hockey. I mean, normally, you know, you envision the track and cross country guys as very skinny and light on their feet, and you envision the rugby team and the and the uh, hockey team as the guys who are uh, a little bit thicker. And you know, you're also transitioning from a non-contact sport into two <laughs> very heavy contact sports. So, good for you, though. That's a that's a heck of a story. So, we we talked about before I hit record your your rugby and a little bit about your hockey and i and i know that has to do with your your mental health journey what i i've got two questions about your sports at the academy what did it teach you as far as a leader once you left the academy and went into the officer corps in the navy and then what what happened to you physically and mentally on on the i think it was on the rugby field or the pitch rather uh that started you on your mental health journey? Yeah, so, you know, I think uh, Division I athletes, athletics in general teach you a number of things. You, you know, I would say first and foremost, uh, they teach you really the idea of hard work and perseverance. Um, and I think the two go hand in hand because, you know, I remember days and 
cross country was bad enough, but when we were doing track practices, um, you know, it takes it to a new level. When you're, when you're in high school, you, you kind of go to the track and then you do whatever track workout you're going to do. I remember days where we, you know, the initial part of our track workout was you're going to go run a five to seven mile run, you know, and you're doing that at, you know, six or sub six minute pace. And then you come back and, okay, we're going to do four repeat one miles. All of them are going to be under 445. And I mean, they were just, it was just brutal or, you know, days when you're doing 800 repeats and, you know, you know, each one you're trying to do sub two minute, uh, 800s. Um, so, you know, so I think it, uh, you know, it also taught me that, uh, you know, you're able to achieve far much more than your mind limits that you put on yourself. Sure. Um, so the, the other aspect of it, it, you know, I would say would, would be the teamwork aspect is, you know, whether you're running cross country or track, you know, which can seem like they're individual sports, there really is no um, in individual aspect of it because the team is bigger than yourself. And right. that certainly takes a more, you know, takes on an even, even greater role with, you, you know, once you get into hockey or, or rugby. And then the, the other thing I would say is you also have to have um, a sense of patience. You know, there are going to be times where you're going to want to have your best performance. And sometimes it, uh, for various reasons, it doesn't happen. You know, it could be for training, it could be for injuries, but, you know, you need to have patience in that, you you know, over time, you, can, you have constant ability to achieve greater limits than what you're at. So yeah. I would say those are some of the big you know, big, big areas. Yeah. I, I would, I would say the last one is especially running up in new England, um, during the winter, you, you realize the brutality of, uh, the weather conditions and, you know, ha- having to overcome snow, sleep, you know, freezing temperatures, uh, and, and just dealing with it, uh, you, you know, was, was another aspect of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's, uh, definitely just a few of the pieces that you learn from playing sports is it mental toughness, grit, teamwork, leadership. Um, so I, I love that you've shared those. As as far as when you were on the on the pitch, what happened? Was it senior year that you got injured? No, I, I actually had multiple injuries. One one playing one one in rugby and one in hockey. The okay. the initial one uh, would have would have been you know, I, 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 it would have been, um, probably my junior year, um, fall. And, um, it was just, uh, you know, a regular, um, we were playing in a tournament out of town and, um, at, at the time I was switching between, uh, playing winger or fullback. Um, and, and, you know, part of that had to do with my size in, in that, you know, you weren't going to have me try to tackle a 250, 260 pound person in the scrum, although, right. you know, you have to, but, uh, you know, what I, I think the coach loved about me is if you got it out to the outside, you know, I, I could run very fast and sure. it was hard for people to catch me. Um, you know, and it was a play where, um, you know, we were going towards the, the goal and, um, I was running, um, in rugby, one of the things you're trying to do is get better positioning on where your kicker has to kick it. And that all has to deal with, um, you know, when you're scoring 
um, in, on the pitch where you end up scoring at. So I was, you know, on the outside trying to make a beeline towards the goalpost so I could give, you know, once I scored uh, the, the kicker, uh, who was our fullback, uh, a better chance uh, and a better angle. And as I was nearing the goalpost, I got uh, tackled from behind and was tackled head and shoulder first, unfortunately, into the post. Oh, and it caused, um, you know, it ended up, uh, you know, causing me to, you know, to have a separated shoulder, um, but it also, um, you know, caused me to have, you know, a loss of consciousness for, uh, you know, for a period of time. And, um, you know, my, my first uh, major, you know, traumatic uh, brain injury. And, you know, what was ironic about the situation is, you know, back then in the early 90s, um, concussions didn't have nearly the, the awareness that they, they did now. So basically, sure. I woke up and had, you know, the coach and a number of the teammates looking down at me and I was wondering what happened. Yeah. Uh, you know, but it was one of those things where you go to the sideline you know, a few minutes later, they popped my shoulder back in place and, you know, kind of did the uh, finger to the, to the eyes and, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm back in playing the rest of the weekend. Um, and then the, the second one was, um, you know, it, unfortunately it was probably six months later. So, you know, there was a pretty, you know, I, you know, I think time, the, the time, the time frequency between injuries can play a role. And, and this one was just, you know, I would happen to be skating, you know, with the puck and as you normally do. And I just got uh, hit from behind. And, and when it did, it just launched me in the air and I, I went uh, head first into the boards and again, uh, you know, lost consciousness and, and had my, you know, second concussion. Jeez. Now, how did, uh, how did that affect you? Uh, the rest of your time at Annapolis and then carrying forward throughout your naval career? So I, I would say that, uh, you know, the first concussion I had, um, you know, for the first, I would, you know, I think that one, it was a matter of weeks. I had issues with, you know, headaches. Um, I was having issues with fluorescent lights and, and other things bothering me. And, you know, just, um, you know, some, some, uh, short-term memory issues that I was experiencing. And, you know, the first time, you know, the, the symptoms went away after a few weeks and, uh, you know, things went back pretty much to normal. Um, the second time, um, this, the consequences were, were a bit worse and more sustaining and, uh, un- unfortunately for me, they, they started having, you know, a major impact on my schoolwork. And, mm-hmm. and um, so when that happened, you know, my grades took a major dump um, because I was starting to have some cognitive uh, difficulties. And, uh, re- you know, for the first time, I started experiencing what um, people would say are the feelings of having attention deficit disorder um, so in addition to, you know, um, the headaches that went away, I started experiencing more constant issues with, um, you know, my mind wandering. And then, you know, some of the issues you don't know necessarily what's going on because you're concentrating different than you were before. So, right. um, so I, I would say that, um, 
you know, that a lot of that after a while cleared up um, when I went in the military. Um, but um, pr probably about two years following that, um, I, I happened to, in the cryptologic or community, uh, naval information warfare community, we have a, a billet that's called a direct support officer. And, and that's what I started to do. And you end up uh, going out and deploying, you know, on ships, subs, aircraft. And, um, you know, in this case, uh, I did some special forces work and I ended up volunteering for a program that uh, the National Security Agency was doing with special warfare teams where we were trying out some uh, both uh, signal intelligence collection capabilities and also um, human intelligence capabilities. So um, I ended up uh, doing some work at the time with um, the Green Berets and they were doing, um, as they often do, missions where, where they were training you know, an adversary, um, and in this case, it was the Croatian Special Forces, um, you know, on some warfare fighting techniques. And I had been deployed with them. And we got a call out of the blue that there was a high ranking uh, army general um, who had been meeting with, you know, the, the top uh, Serbian general, and he had gotten detained at an airport um, in Croatia. And so, you know, we were picked up and taken to that airport, um, you know, by helicopter and then dropped off. And um, I just remember it being, you know, it was almost like a situation where you're in a movie where, you know, we were in plain clothes at the time um, because of the training we were doing. So we walk into this uh, airport in Zagreb and, you know, something just fell off the second we walked in and the customs um, officers were were uh, holding on to this this uh, three-star general, and you know we expected this to be you know a routine. You know, go pick him in and take him out, and then um, as we were extracting him, you know, kind of all hell broke loose. And these, you know, what today you would have thought were customs agents or you know uh, TSA agents, all of a sudden opening fire on us, and so you know all of a sudden we're in a you know we're in the middle of a you know, weapons exchange. And then we, you know, had a plane on the ground waiting for him. And so, you know, we're all around him and, and you've been in this situation, you know, extracting a high value target. And as we were going to the aircraft, we, you know, started coming under some uh, mortar rounds. And, you know, one of those hit me from behind and launched me uh, into the air. And that's, you know, all I remember. Wow. So, so I woke up, um, you know, I, I, don't know if it was hours or a day later, you know, in a hospital in uh, Italy. And, you know, I had stitches all over the, the top of my head from where I hit. And, um, you know, that was probably the most severe um, concussion that I suffered. And, uh, yeah, I bet it was. I mean, it sounds like it knocked you out. For, like you said, you don't know whether it was a few hours or a few days. It sounds like it was pretty so, brutal. And, and following that, um, you know, I probably had the, the greatest issue with recovery and that one took several months. Um, you know, and then after a while it appeared the symptoms went away. However, kind of a few years later when I was in, uh, um, in my assignment at JADF South, I noticed uh, that things started to change. 
And, you know, the changes at initially, you know, to me, to me were subtle, but um, I started, you know, again, having memory issues and um, at that point, and then I started having a ton of concentration um, problems. And then, you know, it, it led into issues with irritability and other aspects of my life. And unfortunately, you know, those symptoms have kind of uh, carried on, you know, up until now. So what, what are you doing and what have you done to, to manage this, the, the TBIs and your, your, the way that you're handling life? I mean, what have you done to manage that? So, you know, I think one of the things that happens and it, it, I'm probably not unique here is that, you know, life, life goes on, you know, when, you know, when at, at this point, when I, so to, to tell you the truth, I, I, when I was in the service, I ended up trying to cover a lot of this up um, because when I was on the counter drug task force, I ended up loving that job and ended up, um, being asked to apply to the CIA, the DEA, um, really customs and the FBI. And I ended up getting accepted by multiple, multiple of them. But when you're going through that process, you can't, you didn't want to give out that you had, you know, a disability or anything going on or else you would have immediately gotten disqualified. Right. So, you know, I ended up getting selected to go to Quantico and, um, Ironically, you know, you hear these things about Congress having a funding shortfall and you don't really think too much about it when you're a civilian because it doesn't really impact your, your life too much. But in this case, um, you know, I was supposed to go to a Quantico class that was right at the end of a funding term. And, you know, it hit one of these things where, you know, there was a pause in funding and when that happened, my class got recycled. And when you get recycled at the FBI, because these things are scheduled so far in advance, uh, my detailer couldn't tell me, you know, if it was going to be six months or, or six years. So I was forced to, at that point to go find a job. Um, and, you know, to, to make a long story short, at, at, by that point, my, my wife was pregnant. You know, I'm, I'm now working as a consultant for Booz Allen. And I'm working 60, 70 hours a week. You know, mm -hmm. I have a son on the way and I'm doing an MBA. Wow. And, you know, you, you know who, who has time to, to go to the doctor and, and make that priority when you've right. got everything else? So, you know, so I would say for a few years, I, you know, from probably the period, period 97 to 2001, you know, these things were, were there, I noticed them, but there were so many other things that were happening, plus the birth of, you know, my son that, you know, you had to put focus somewhere else. Um, and so, you know, I, I was compensating for, for what was happening, but really not putting focus on it. And then, you know, I noticed around 2001, 2002, it started to really, um, you know, these things were starting to impact my job performance. And at this point, um, um, I ended up going to see a doctor, my primary care physician in, um, Atlanta and, you know, his, his diagnosis of it was that, um, you know, this was ADD. And so he had me go see a psychiatrist. So 
you know, I think that was one of the first, you know, missteps was instead of really, you know, looking at the underlying issues, which were, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder coupled with cognitive issues suffered from my traumatic brain injuries. Um, he had me see a psychiatrist who then, you know, put me on, you know, the start of the psychological cocktail um, regime. Right. So, you know, I was on Lexapro and Wellbutrin, you know, and they were also trying uh, Adderall at the time. And, you know, for me, what, what I found from it were that the side effects were worse than the issues that I was experiencing. So, you know, I, I tried it for six or seven months and then, you know, ended up just thinking to myself, I'm just going to have to deal with this. And so that's kind of, you know, what I did is I tried to cope with it on my own. Um, and, you know, my way of coping with it, um, you know, one, one aspect of it was, you know, I had to work out every day because if I didn't get the aggression out, you know, I would become very angry and irritable. You know, I think the other aspect of it was, you know, I, I, I started uh, self-medicating, um, you know, because for me, and it was a weird sensation. I, I didn't drink to it, like escape what was going on. But when I had, you know, alcohol, it, it was the only time that I felt normal again and like wow. I was before the injury. Because, you know, for me, I constantly would have, you know, just concentration issues where I'm, I'm, you know, like bouncing on the wall and it slowed my brain down enough to the point that I felt like I could be in normal conversations and I wasn't tuning out. Mm. Um, so, you know, from that point forward, you know, a number of years went by and, um, you know, I kind of just dealt with it uh, like that, um, you know, and it, you know, I would say, you know, it, it had a pretty profound impact, you know, on my home life and on work because, you know, at times, you know, you just get so frustrated by not being yourself that you end up having, you know, you end up, uh, it ends up affecting you in more ways than you would think. Um, from a social standpoint and the way that you interact with others. And you don't really understand some of the things that you're doing, uh, but you're different in how you interact um, than, you, you know, I think you would have been normally. So, you know, it caused irritability issues. It caused, you know, me to have, you, you know, anger issues where, you know, out of nowhere for what seemed to be like the smallest thing could set me off. Um, and so, you know, I would take that out on my family or, you know, co-workers at times. Um, but about, uh, you know, fast forward about 2008, um, I was uh, snowboarding with my son and, um, you know, it was one of the first times I had been snowboarding. I, I had always been a skier and I was coming down the mountain and, um, you know, unfortunately I caught the, 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 the tip yeah. of the board. Yeah. And I ended up doing a, a whiplash type of thing and it got me on the back of the head. And, um, you know, luckily I had a helmet this time, but unfortunately I had yet another concussion. And, um, you know, for me, you know, this is when things went from, you know, one point of bad to, to even worse, because at this point I started having uh, chronic migraines mm -hmm. and uh, which, which really became 
um, delibitate or what's the word I'm looking for? Yes. And, you know, so at, I was hoping that, you know, like the previous concussions that this, you know, that the headache part would go away. And, you know, unfortunately to this, to this day, it, it hasn't. So, you know, in 2009, I started going in for more, um, you know, I had been going to counseling all along, but I started going into more in depth counseling because at this point it had really started to impact my ability to work um, and was compounding. And this was the first time um, I was diagnosed with depression and the, you know, the person told me I had, uh, you know, something called dysthemia, um, you know, which he explained, you know, was uh, a progression, a progression of depression where it had reached a, you know, kind of a chronic state. And, um, you know, so from, from that point forward, you know, not only was I battling with those things, you know, I had the anxiety from PTSD and now the state of depression. Um, and so, you know, from that point forward, I started to try to seek more aggressive um, um, treatments for this. But at the same time, at, at this point, I had become, you know, the chief information officer at Dell. And I'm at a point where I'm working 80 to 100 hour weeks um, out of the country, two weeks out of the month. You know, I've got a full family and I'm the, the only provider. So I'm trying to like hold it together while all this other stuff is, you know, going on. And so, you know, it, it, I, you know, although I would go to the, you know, Austin Heart Institute as part, part of our physicals, I, I wasn't, um, you know, I would talk to them about my symptoms, but, you know, they, you know, the only thing at that point that they really treated me for was the sleep apnea, uh, because I, you know, I, at, at, by, by, by this point, I was 10 years into, you know, insomnia and, you know, night terrors and, and other things that were, you know, keeping my sleep to three to four hours a week. So fast forward to 2014, you know, my memory issues had gotten to the point where, you know, I was worried if I had, you know, a brain tumor. So, you know, I went, started going to see a neurologist. And at this point, you know, they did your typical MRI CT exam and which came out negative. And then they did a neuropsych analysis, which also, you know, showed that I was normal um, compared to the people they were judging me against, um, which were, you know, high performing executives, doctors, etc. And so, you know, I came out of this and I, I remember, you know, sitting with uh, the, you know, the neuropsych um, psychiatrist and or psychologist and my wife was there and, you know, she says to me, you know, we've looked at all the data and, you know, what's causing all of this, we believe is nothing more than your depression. And, you know, at that point, my uh, wife at the time looked at me and we'd, we'd been married for about 20 years at the time. And she said, you know, so you're telling me he's this big an asshole and he's got all these issues just because of depression. She go and she just, she goes, you know, she goes, I was hoping it would be a tumor or I was hoping it would be something worse, you know, that would explain what's going on with him, you know, mm -hmm. and she marched wow. out and, you know, and, 
you know, it was really tough because at that point, um, you know, after she left, the, you know, the, the medical professional sat me down and she said, I'm sorry to tell you this, but based on her answers, um, you, you know, I, I would doubt that you're going to be married a year from now. And, you know, she, she was right about five, six months later, you know, she ended up uh, moving out. Yeah. And so, you know, so it, you know, it, it had kind of at that point, I had been fired from a couple jobs over it, you know, now I had lost my family over it. And um, so at this point, I made the decision that I was just going to stop drinking altogether um, and see how that made me felt so or feel so in about that time frame, 2014 through, you know, summer of 2014 through the summer of 2015, I didn't have a drop, drop of alcohol. And what I realized throughout that period of time is none of the symptoms went away. Mm. So, you know, when the doctors were telling me it's depression with, you know, your alcohol use, it, it ruled out the alcohol for me. And so, you know, I started, you know, to, to get myself down a path and, um, you know, 2017, um, ended up being a good year for me professionally and things were turning the corner when um, November, uh, November 7th, 2017 ended up being a, you know, a day I'll never remember or I'll never forget. I ended up taking my daughter um, to school that day. It was a normal Tuesday morning. And at the time I was working out uh, pretty religiously at a, at a gym called Orange Theory. Yeah, I'm and, familiar with Orange Theory, yep. And on, on this particular day, for whatever reason, they had a, um, um, an electrical fire in their air conditioning system. And so they had to cancel the class. And so I ended up going home unexpectedly early. And when I walked in the house, I noticed that there were workmen's shoes in my hallway. Um, mm. And I came in and the alarm was off and the alarm is always on when I, when I go. And so, you know, I was renting at this point and I thought, you know, you know, it, it's got to be just someone from my rental company who's doing uh, maintenance. And so I started to announce that I was there um, and I didn't hear a reply. So at this point, I, I kind of figured, you know, the person must have head, headset on or something. They're listening to music, can't hear me. So I start going up my staircase and it's the kind that wraps around. And as I start wrapping around, um, there's an intruder at the foot of the stairs with a holding a gun, uh, pointing it uh, in my direction. And at that point, I kind of just, you know, start falling backwards down the stairs, you know, crashing into the back wall, you know, and then as I'm coming out, um, I end up slipping on the back stairs, you know, falling on my back, injuring my Achilles on the way out, and then running from the house because I don't know what this person's going to do. Right. And, um, you know, as it turns out, it ended up being the maintenance manager for the um, rental company. Um, but it, it then brought back a reawakening of my PTSD um, like it, it hadn't been in years. I bet. And then unfortunately, you know, a week after that, uh, you know, my best friend, um, out of nowhere ended up jumping off uh, the Skyway Bridge and committing suicide. And so, you know, those kind of back, 
to back things then kind of re-triggered a lot of, uh, you know, other, you know, combat and other memories. Um, and so I found, um, you know, I went through, you know, a period of, of a dark time for, you know, eight to, to 10 months. Um, and during that time, uh, really out of despair, went to the VA because at, at that, I had never gone to the VA before. Um, you know, I grew up, you know, with a father who had been wounded multiple times. And I kind of grew up with, you know, you, you only go to the VA if you're missing a limb or you've got like a major physical thing. If not, um, you know, you know, for me, it was a pride thing that I, I wasn't going to go and take another veteran's place. Right. But, you know, I ended up going. And at that point, I was making too much money um, for them to admit me. So, you know, you know, it forced me to go through the comp and, uh, you know, the compensation portion of it. And, you know, as I went through that, you know, all I wanted was a high enough amount that I could start getting treatment because, you know, as you know, when you're going, you know, at this point, I'm going to see a site, you know, I'm going for psychological help, I'm going for neurological help, I'm going for physical help for from ailments that I have. So medical bills are starting to get expensive. And, you know, I, I wish was surprised or shocked, you could say when, you know, it came back and, you know, right off the bat, I had a 90% um, service uh, connected disability. Mm -hmm. um, and so at that point, you know, I thought, you know, so now, you know, great, I'm, I'm finally into the VA and now I'm going to get the, the treatment um, that I'm, 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 I deserve. Yeah. So un un unfortunately, um, what I have found is that the way they code you for your comp compensation um, designation drastically impacts the way that you get treated. And so you know, I was service connected for migraines, for tinnitus, for, you know, second degree burns from the, the mortar. Um, but a big chunk of it came from uh, depression and migraines. And so for whatever reason, they didn't uh, give me PTSD and they service connected me for TBIs, but at a zero percent. Mm -hmm. And so from this point forward, um, they start treating me as a mental health patient and not as a TBI or PTSD patient. And it took me a good 12 to 13 months before I even started to see a psychologist be because of the way it was coded. And then uh, kind of COVID hit. And um, it, it took probably until this past... Um, July until I could start seeing him again. And wow. as we started talking about some of the traumatic um, experiences I had, um, he, he's like, he started looking at my record because he, he said, started saying, you know, why haven't you been diagnosed for PTSD? And then he went into, he goes, you know, when you were going through your CMP exam, and, and maybe I'm getting way too complicated here, but uh, he he ended up saying, you know, the, the grader did you a, a huge mis disservice. He found you that you both had depression and PTSD 
And instead of giving you both or giving you PTSD, he gave you depression. And he right, goes, right. the way it causes the system, the system to handle you is now we have to treat you for depression first. Right. And not for the PTSD. Which, which so, that makes sense, but it sounds like it was an unfortunate coding in your, in your case. Right. So, so then I finally, through him and going to see a psychiatrist, um, they referred me finally to go to the TBI intake. And the, and the interesting thing is, was when I, you know, I went to the, the TBI intake, um, I started talking to the intake nurse and intake doctor and, you know, probably within the first 30 seconds to a minute, um, you know, they burned out, you know, we don't know why you're here. Um, you know, because TBIs happen in the past, they don't affect you going forward. And, you know, at this point I had, you know, done a ton of research and, you know, had become pretty educated on it to know that, you know, although that could be the case, it necessarily isn't always the case, but it, it just kind of angered me that that's the way the first time they would see you as a patient that, that they would treat you as if, you know, why are you even here? Right. So, but, you know, she ended up starting to, you know, during that hour and a half consult, you know, we kind of went through everything and, you know, she said, I'm just going to give you the workup because you're being so vigilant about uh, wanting it. And so they sent me to um, see a physical therapist who, um, after going to see him, it, it turns out that um, I, I ended up having confirmed an objective um, hypovestibular dysfunction yeah. and uh, also eye issues with field of view and being able to track, which they have now ruled are directly caused by the TBIs. So for me, you know, after, you know, at this point, 22 years after the first one, it, you know, I finally felt the point that I had, you know, some vindication sure. that all these things that are going on hadn't been in my mind. Yeah. You know, and then they sent me, you know, for further auditory testing, which confirmed the, you know, the central vestibular and hypovestibular issues. So, you know, since that point, then they did put me through the PTSD intake and, you know, I spent, you know, the four or five hours it takes to go through that. And, you know, just this past week, you know, I was finally notified 22 years later that, um, you know, I'm eligible to go through individual recovery program. Um, right. So, so, you know, it's finally happening, but, um, you know, it's been a very long drawn out, you know, painful process. Yeah. It sounds like it. Wow. And you're, uh, you're tenacious. <laughs> you, you stayed at it. So, you know, for those listening who may be going through something similar, um, keep at it, keep, doing your research, be like, like John mentioned, be vigilant about doing your research, finding out what are your, what your options are, what else is out there as alternative therapies. Um, and, and also keep at it with the, with the VA, if that's your route that you need to go, uh, both with the VA and with your VA disability rating. So good for you for continuing that fight, man. Uh, that's, that's an incredible story and incredible path you've been down. Um, yeah. So now, 
what's uh, what's the future look like for you? I know you've got a lot going on. You've got a book coming out. You're you've got keynote speaking. What's uh, what's the future look like for you? Yeah, so I, I would say, you know, one thing for, for your listeners, you know, when you would ask, you know, what, what were you doing during this time to cope with it? Um, yeah. You know, strange, strangely enough, um, I, you know, when I was assigned to Naval Special Warfare Unit 10 in uh, Spain in the early 90s, um, it was my first exposure to yoga. Um, and oh, yeah. you, know, you, you wouldn't think special operators would do yoga, but, you know, they were doing it for flexibility. And so around the 2009 timeframe, I ended up um, starting, starting to get uh, really back into yoga and I did it more for the mindfulness aspect than I did anything else because I started, you know, I had so much stuff that was going on. Yeah. You know, for me, you know, being able to learn breathing techniques to, to try to deal with the irritability but more important, the mindfulness to deal with, you know, all these things that were in my head and trying to, to deal with them, you know, started to, to be, you know, a, um, a, a way for me to help, you know, deal with some of the symptoms that, that I was going through. So, right. you know, for your listeners, I would, you know, encourage them, you know, if they're not doing it, you know, I, I know a lot of people don't think yoga is a macho sport, but, you know, I would tell you if you start doing rocket or, you know, some of the more, um, power, powerful uh, flow routines, you know, it, it's every bit as hard of a workout as, as anything I've ever, I've ever had to endure. And I think in order to get through some of that, you know, you, you really have to resort to the mental toughness and putting your mind in a different state where you can deal with some of this tension and it can help you. So, so as far as, you know, looking forward, um, you know, I, I, I guess for, for years now, I have had a, a burning, you know, calling that, uh, you know, I am, you know, I have been put here on this earth to, to positively, you know, help change lives and change lives for the better. And so I ended up, um, through my experience, I've, I've been lucky enough to have worked with worked alongside, met and interviewed, you know, 250 probably of, of some of the greatest uh, leaders of our times from all walks of life. So I ended up uh, starting to write this manuscript and I did it based on my five or six years of researching them and starting to look at, uh, you know, what, you know, what are the common things that I was seeing across military generals like General McChrystal um, or Admiral, you know, General Petraeus or Admiral McRae or others, you know, professional athletes, business leaders that, you know, all allowed them to achieve this greatness. And it came down to, to one thing, it was passion. And it was more than that. They were so passion struck about what ignited their human potential that it caused them to almost go on a crusade about it, that they were willing to devote their lives to achieving their goals. You know, whether that was in a nonprofit, whether that was on the battlefield, you know, or starting a company like Square or Salesforce or Airbnb or, yeah. you know, Tesla, they were so passion struck about it that they were willing to risk it all to pursue it. And so, you know, what I do in the, the the upcoming book, which is, is called Passion Struck, is 
I part of the book goes through, you know, here are the attributes or mindsets that these leaders shared in common. And I do that in a way that I go through my, my own personal story, but then I highlight the point by through an interview or an example from an experience I've had. So for instance, um, you know, I talk about uh, Jim McKelvey, who is the co-founder of Square. And, you know, one of the major things that, that he focuses on is, you know, we all have this innate power to do more. It's how do you ignite and cultivate that power to do more and, and achieve greatness. And so Love it. I, you know, I go through chapters like that. And then I end the book by going through, you know, now here's how it manifested them, it, itself in them. Now, how do you apply it to your own life? Sure. And so I, I always thought, you know, I thought that I'd write the book, but, um, you know, I never thought I'd go beyond that. But over the past six months, um, you know, I've decided to form a company of the same name. And really what I want to do is build a system that helps you individually, you know, through coaching, but then provides you content and other aspects that, you know, you know, to me, it's one thing about finding your why. To me, the harder part is, you know, how do you continually ignite it and cultivate it? You know, because to me, motivation is fleeting, passion is lasting, but you need to stay on a passion track. And that's what I, I hope to help people, you know, whether it's, you know, helping a veteran, which I'm, you know, now trying to vol volunteer my time to do through Warrior Rising or- nice or, you know, doing it uh, commercially, you know, for profit through passion struck. That's awesome, man. Good for you. You got, you got some great things going on and it sounds like you've really turned things around. Um, so I, I love that you're paying it forward with passion struck and with warrior rising. And, and I work with uh, Jason Van Camp and mission six zero, uh, you know, their, their profit side and, and I love what they do with warrior rising. It's a, it's a phenomenal organization. Well, John, uh, we're right at the top of the hour here. Uh, if if uh, somebody wanted to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? So the, the best way um, I, would be to, um, they could go to my, what Passion Struck isn't live yet. It will, will be in the near future, but uh, for now they can go to my website, uh, which is www.johnrmiles.com. Or they can, you know, email me at john at johnrmiles.com. Nice. Well, perfect. I'll make sure that's in the show notes. And and this will probably air in uh, early March. So maybe the Passion Struck website will be live by then. And uh, if if it is, I'll make I'll do some research and I'll make sure that that website is also in the show notes. Well, John, thanks for so much for coming on the show, man. You've got an incredible story, uh, man. You got to you got to keep that head protected man <laughs> so. yeah, and, and for anyone who's who's listening i would just end with you know as as bad as it feels like it can get um it can get better so you know whether that's you know emailing me and asking me to talk or reaching out to someone else um you know there's always someone there who can help you so yes absolutely 
Well, thank you so much, John, for sharing your story. And, and I think that I'm sure there will be somebody out there that this resonates with and that they can, they've probably got something similar going on and fighting the battles with themselves personally inside between the, the, you know, the temples and between the ears or fighting the battles with the VA like you have. Uh, so thanks for sharing that story. And, and uh, I'm glad that things are really turned around for you, man. Um, and until, until, until we speak again, stay safe and stay healthy. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Veterans Path Podcast. Please follow us on social media and think about sharing your story with us there and potentially on the show. Together, we can make mental health a priority, improving and saving lives.